But what a beautiful day it is, isn't it? It's absolutely wonderful. And for those of you who know me quite well, you'll know that this is my favourite season. I absolutely love autumn. I love the colours, and this is like the perfect day for me. It's bright sunshine, it's quite crisp, and the colours are absolutely beautiful. And um, my nan, when she was around, always used to say to me, how on earth can you like autumn? It's all about death and things dying and withering and shriveling away. But actually, we need that time of withering and shriveling and death, don't we, before we can get to that time of spring again and flourishing and new life. So I just want to pray for us now. I just want to pray, Father, that on this beautiful autumnal day, that as we come to hear what you want to say to us this morning through your words, that those bits of us that need to wither and shrivel and die away will do just that. And that we will be free to flourish in you. We will be free time and time again to become newer creations. We are new creations when we know you. But there's things that need honing and there's things that we need to die to. And so, Lord, I just pray that this morning there'll be a little bit more of dying to self and a bit more of flourishing in new life with you. And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so don't take it personally if I'm not looking over in your direction. I might occasionally look over to check that Pete Gray's not sleeping, because he's already confessed to me a number of times that he likes to have a little snooze. So I will be looking occasionally, Pete Gray. Okay, now, as Aid said earlier, we're going to be continuing our series this morning, Walking in the Dust. And here in 21st Century Totnes United Free, we've been training ourselves, haven't we, week by week, to walk more closely with Jesus, behind Jesus, to be covered in that dust. We're trying to slough off, get rid of that grimy dust that covers us, that dust of self. And we're looking to emulate his ways more and be more recognisable in a much better quality dust. And I think it's really important today that we've had that lovely time, isn't it, of paying our respects of honouring those who have gone before us, who've died in the wars and are still dying now and suffering. And I think that we as a nation here in Britain, we're really good at that. We're really good at marking out Armistice Day. We're really good at marking out Remembrance Sunday. It's time to show that honour and that respect. And as well as the two-minute silence that we've had, there'll be ceremonies all over the nation today, won't they? Up at the Cenotaph, at various Cenotaphs, at war memorials and throughout churches in the nation. And I think that no matter what our politics are, no matter what any of us may think of war, of conflict, we can all agree that we need those times to remember those who have suffered and are still suffering and made great sacrifices but I'm also reminded, and that's why I've chosen my themes for today of reverence and respect, that it's not only important to show reverence and respect for the dead, for those who have gone before us. It's actually crucial, isn't it, in our daily lives, in our walking with Jesus. We need to be a people who can revere and can respect. So this morning we're going to look at how Jesus conducted himself whilst he was here on earth. And I'm going to focus on just a few themes. It's such a vast subject, isn't it? I can't possibly look at all of it. But I want to focus on a few themes that the Lord has laid on my heart in particular. My first theme is we're going to look at Jesus' reverence for the Father, for his Father, for our Father. Then we're going to go on and we're going to look at Jesus' respect for all people. 
And this will very much tie in with what Aid was preaching on last week. In fact, when we were talking um, the week before about what we were going to preach on, we found that we were both going to use Luke 14. And um, it was quite interesting because I thought, actually, I'm not going to shift that aside. God is saying to us that we need to look at that particular passage. And they brought lots and lots of things out of it last week, but I just want to revisit it a little bit later as well and go into it because I think it's really important for us. Thirdly, I'm going to look at how Jesus dealt with challenging people. And I'm not going to pretend that we're all going to walk away and be able to do that perfectly, but we're going to look at how Jesus did it. We're going to remind ourselves, and hopefully it will help us all. Now, before we take um, some time to dig into Scripture, I'd just like to look at the meaning of the words reverence and respect. Now, in English, when we're talking about reverence, it actually means deep respect for someone or something. Synonyms for reverence are highest esteem, high regard, the very greatest of respect. So I think, to me, reverence is something deeper than just simply paying our respects and showing respect. It's something that if we revere someone or something, we actually feel it quite profoundly. It's something very much of the heart as well as of the head. And it also contains connotations of awe and fear and wonder. In fact, the Hebrew and Greek words that are used for reverence all have connotations of that fear, of that being in awe of. Now, I'll make no apologies for my Hebrew and Greek pronunciations. I'll just say them with confidence as Aid does. I won't look at Hugh, who may correct me, and I'll just come out with them. And the rest of you can just, yeah. <laughs> now, in the Old Testament, reverence is actually the translation of two Hebrew words, yah and shasha. Now, the root idea of the former, yah, or yeah, is fear. Sounds a bit like it, doesn't it? Yeah, fear. And the root idea of the second one, of shasha, is falling down. It's a prostration of the body. So there's those connotations there of falling flat on your face, the idea of being overcome, prostrate before a holy God. And then in the New Testament Greek, reverence occurs as a translation of three Greek words. Eidos, with the idea of modesty, knowing your place. Phobeomai, again, with the idea of fear. We get phobia from that, don't we? Phobeomai. And anthropomai, which is a word that sort of conveys when we place ourselves beneath someone else or something else. So again, these words are all about raising God up, bowing down, being able to fall flat on our faces in worship of him, knowing that he's a holy God, he's a beautiful God, and knowing our place. So actually, I think if you're going to revere someone, then you're only really going to do that if you consider them totally worthy of that, aren't you? It's not something that you can just do. You've got to really believe they're worthy of it. But showing respect, on the other hand, I believe it doesn't always go hand in hand with that feeling of deep reverence. As a follower of Jesus, there'll be plenty of things that we don't revere, that we can't look at with favour. But I think, as his followers, it's always incumbent on us to practice respect. That is what Jesus asks of us. And you may be asking, well, how's that possible? I often ask myself how that's possible. 
We're living in a world, aren't we, where many shun Jesus, decry him, persecute those who follow him. We may be, we may have felt patronised or disrespected for our faith. And even in this community, there are many people who have different philosophies and practices and perspectives to ours. We live counterculturally. And that doesn't ever mean that we can walk around and be offensive to others, though, does it? Or disrespect or disregard their views. I think it's really incumbent on us to practice that respect and that love regardless. Because otherwise we can become a people who seek to go out there because we know the truth and we can patronise and we can offend. It doesn't mean the faith that we're carrying is not going to be offensive, because of course it will be at times. To many it is. But it's really important that we don't deliberately walk in a way that is offensive and contemptuous and disrespectful to others around us. Now, if we're going to look at these themes of reverence and respect this morning, then I think we need to spend some time looking at where our reverence is completely non-negotiable. There's no question of it whatsoever where it's truly deserved. And indeed, as followers of Jesus, it's, it's actually required that we do this. And that is our reverence for the Father, just as Jesus revered him. And I think unless we can really grasp hold of that, then it's an awful lot more difficult for us to practice respecting our fellow man and woman, isn't it? So we're going to look now at Jesus' example, Jesus' reverence for his father. Now, in a way, I've not really picked many examples out of this, because when we look at Jesus' life here on earth, well, it's a complete illustration of his reverence the whole time. He's always totally revering his father. But I do want to go back to what Aid was talking about last week, and um, it was about um, when Jesus was teaching the disciples and us how to pray. And it's immediately evident in the very first line how earnest he is that we share his reverence for his father. He says this, when you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Now last week, Aid explained to us how the Lord's Prayer, Jesus would use that prayer to gather community around him, to gather people. The Our Father was saying, you're with me, he's your father, he's not just mine, you are with me. It was an inclusive prayer. And for some of those sat at the table, they may not have known the Father, really, but he was hoping to include them and bring them along with him. And then he said, hallowed be your name, that word hallowed. And Aid went on to explain how that can invite a spark of faith in those that don't yet know the Father. And I would say that actually for those of us that do know the Father, who have that spark of faith, or maybe it's flaring up faith, it's really important that we, as we come to the Father, make sure we fan that into flame, that we really fan it into a deeper and a deeper reverence for him. Now, if we're honest, and if I'm honest, there are many times where I've reeled off the Lord's Prayer, where I tend to skip over bits of it and get, try and get to the bits at the end that I particularly want for myself or for others. But if I do that, and if we do that, we're not praying as Jesus did, because he was really careful to place the reverence at the very forefront of his praying. Before he brought anything to the Father, he would lift him up, he'd raise him up, he will be aware of his total, total awesomeness. And so for us, and for me, as I'm praying, I'm trying to remind myself, sometimes 
it's verbal, and we'll say it. Sometimes it's just an attitude of spirit, isn't it? But it's putting God in his right place before we launch into something else. In a sense, sometimes we just come to Jesus just as we are, and that's good too. We should do. It's because we recognise him, we love him as our friend, and it's natural for us just to chat with him, tell him what our worries are, what our concerns are, pray for our friends, and all of those things are exactly as they should be. That is really important too. But if when we're doing it, we do not recognise him and not respect him in the way that we should, his majesty, his power, his authority, well, we're not placing him where he should be. Jesus tells us to hallow, bless, to honour God first because he always did it. We've been singing about a beautiful and a holy one this morning. And it's so on Jesus' heart that we remember that our Father is beautiful, he is holy, he is majestic. I wonder how often you really grasp that when you pray. It's been a challenge to me. I can think of times in my life where I've been really awestruck by something. And they're tangible events, really. And I thought, oh, there's been a number of occasions. I suppose the most awe-inspiring times for me were the birth of my children. When I think of the birth of my firstborn, Ben, that literally did take my breath away. <laughs> it was absolutely breathtaking. But it was wonderful to hold him. And there was that feeling of the miracle of birth. And then when I had my twins, two of them, it was just incredibly, I was overcome with that sense of a creator God and birth and just the miracle of creation. And then there's been other times as well, more recently, um, I like to walk my dog, a lot of you will have seen me out a lot, especially in this beautiful weather, I like to be out with Red. And um, Linda often comes with me. And we had this really amazing moment recently, it was towards the end of the summer. And we were walking in Dartington, up um, around the woods at the back, and Red had gone off, he was snaffling around in all the undergrowth, we didn't know where he was, and we were just chatting away and just, you know, chewing the fat and don't even remember what we were talking about. And um, all of a sudden, there was this fleeting creature, huge creature, that just came out of nowhere and jumped in front of us, and we realised it was a deer. And it literally, because we're good talkers, aren't we, Linda? Took our breath away. We were quite awestruck, and we kept talking about it then. After all, it was amazing just to see that fleeting glimpse of a beautiful creature. Now, if we can experience tangibly that feeling of being awestruck at something like the miracle of birth or the beauty of creation, even walking around outside today, you know, you can be awestruck by God's beautiful creation then how much more awe-filled should we be when we think of our creator, when we think of the author of all life? There have been times when I've been blown away by his goodness, by his presence, by a touch of the Holy Spirit, and I felt totally overcome with how great he is, how great thou art. But it's not enough. I want to feel that more. And I want to feel that fear of him more as well. But I think when we look at that, we need to distinguish very much between two types of fear. Rob Scott Cook was talking about this a few weeks ago. He talks about the difference between godly fear and ungodly fear. He was talking about how that ungodly fear, that anxiety, is something 
that we shouldn't have as believers. He doesn't want us to have. Many of us struggle with it. And when we do, it can drag us down and it can paralyse us. He reminded us that in the Bible we're instructed time and time again, do not be afraid, do not fear. It's the most repeated command in the Old Testament and the New. And we hear Jesus, don't we, on many occasions telling his disciples, fear not, take courage, don't be afraid, don't worry, don't be anxious. He does this, for example, when he's sending them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, when he's walking across the water and bidding Peter to come to him. He does it when he's preparing to leave them for the cross, and again when he returns and they're totally overcome. In all these instances and others, they need that reassurance, that affirmation, the command to banish fear and trust in him. Just, I think, as we as his followers nowadays need that too. We need, like the disciples, to walk more in the dust of the teacher and be covered with that dust of courage and that dust of peace. As Jesus prepared to leave his disciples, he said this in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world's gifts do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And this is a command for us too. So that's clear. We don't want to subscribe to any debilitating, unhealthy, unholy, paralysing fear. But what about the other type? The godly type? Well, I actually think we really, really need to get a hold of that. We need to grasp that sense of being awed by the thought of a holy God. It's more than respecting God. It's more than even honouring his name. It's about working it into our lives. Practicing it. Asking him to help us with that. When Jesus sends out the twelve apostles in Matthew 10, he says this. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's hard, isn't it? But it's true. He's impressing on them that whatever they come up against, whatever they encounter in this life, there's no room for ungodly fear at all. There's no room for fear of man, but there's ample room. There's a huge amount of room for the fear of God. And the believer's fear should be a reverence and all before him, knowing that actually he is judge of all and he will not look on sin. He cannot look on that. And yet also remembering that he's forgiving. He's paid the price for us if we choose to accept that free gift. That we have nothing to fear from him in a negative way. So again, if we try and walk more closely with Jesus, we can be covered in his dust. He perfectly practiced the fear of the Lord, but he was never afraid. He had the right perspective of his Father. It was beautiful, holy, majestic, powerful. And I'm reminded from Proverbs that to let ourselves be covered in that dust is the wisest of decisions. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And I think that means that until we understand who God is and we develop that reverential fear, we can't have that true wisdom. So my prayer for myself and for us is that we ought daily to be wise, to discipline ourselves, to raise him up, to learn from Jesus' example of doing just that.
So I leave that with you, and we're going to move on to the second part, Jesus' respect for all people. Okay, I've got a question for you. Who of you here has ever felt in any way overlooked or maybe ignored, dishonoured, disrespected? You can put your hands up. I'm sure all of us have at one time or another. Disregarded. How does that make you feel when it happens? Can you shout out a few words, maybe? How do you feel when you feel you've been ignored or disrespected? Bitter and angry. Bitter and angry. Fed up. Fed up. Rubbish. Unimportant. Rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> Defiant. Mm. Frustrated. Frustrated. Abandoned. For me, it can sometimes make me feel when that's happened, and sometimes it's not intentional, people don't do it intentionally, but when it does happen, you feel a bit devalued or just a bit unworthy or overlooked in some way. All different sort of things, negative emotions that it can bring up in us. Now, I want to tell you a little story, and I have checked with the mummies before I, I'm going to tell this story, because it's about Leola and it's about Serafina. And it's a really sweet little story, and it's a little bit of an aside, but I think it's also, there's a lesson in there. Kids often give us a lesson in how we should behave and how we should respect people, things, don't they? And um, it was back when we were having our church celebration. It was a lovely evening. We were all in here listening to music and eating and having a fine old time. And at some point during the evening, I needed to pop up to my desk up there, and I needed to go and get something. I can't even remember what it was now. But actually, Leola and Serafina were in my way. And Leola was sitting on my chair, and she positioned herself very well. She was all upright, looking very professional. She was doing this, like that, at my keyboard. I thought, okay, that's fine. You know, she wasn't actually, the computer wasn't on. She wasn't doing any harm. It's fine. I thought, oh, that's quite sweet. And then Serafina tugged at her arm and said, move over now. Move over. Move over, Leola. It's my turn. I want to be Rebecca. <laughs> so, and actually, she did that, and a little while later, off they trotted down to the other end, and they were being feed at the other end. And actually, it really touched me. I thought these girls know who I am. They're obviously actual children, but they got an idea of what I did. I have to say, I don't sit there doing that all day. I can't even type very well. But, you know, they, they <laughs> so had an idea of who I was, and it was like they were emulating it and sort of showing respect for the person and for Fee too. And I just thought, actually, that was lovely. It made me feel valued. It made me feel a little bit sort of raised up. Somebody's noticed, you know. It's so nice. And I just, it's just a funny little story. But actually, I think they have the gift of noticing. And it's something that we can all do with, isn't it? Looking around, seeing what's going on, not necessarily copying what each other does. That might be a bit irritating. But actually just respecting and just honouring. And so if we're looking to be covered in the dust of Jesus, we need not only to be covered in the dust of reverence for our holy God, but also in the dust of noticing, respecting, honouring our fellow man, woman and child. But how do we do it? It is tough. How do we do it in a world where people can so often push our buttons? And for some of us, we struggle with that sort of patience level as well, don't we? And um, Or taking offence. 
And how do we do it with people that we rub up against that don't share our way of life, that maybe hold different values that are disparaging to us or a bit patronising? Have you ever been patronised for your faith? I know I have. And sometimes it's by people that you know quite well. They may not mean to do it, but they do. Yeah. And how do we do it when people cause us great offence, even repel us? I don't have the answers, but as always with Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, he teaches us how to do it and how to start to do it if we look at him and walk in his ways. We know, don't we, that Jesus was the very best of teachers. And this is where I'm going to go back to one of his parables, to parable Luke 14. And we're going to look at this. I'm just going to remind you of the backdrop, and then I'm going to ask Karen to come up and read it to us. The backdrop was that Jesus had invited had been invited to eat dinner at the home of a very important Pharisee. And there were lots of other people there as well. They were socially important people. And people were hoping to become important, hoping that a little bit of sort of that social importance and glory would rub off on them. But as the guests were taking their seat at the table, Jesus was watching them very carefully to see how they were behaving. And he really didn't like what he saw. They were behaving very badly indeed. So he decided he was going to tell the parable of honour at the banquet. So if you'd open your Bibles together, um, it's Luke 14, 7 to 14, and it's on page 1047 of Church Bibles. And Karen's going to come up and read to us now. So Luke 14, and this is Jesus talking. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So we see from Luke 14 again, in God's kingdom, the way up, the way to be the way to the Father and the way that Jesus is going to really look at us and be pleased with us is always to humble ourselves, isn't it? The way up is always down. It's a reminder to us all not to be impressed with the important, not to be impressed with the celebrated and the popular, and that's even in our church circles, isn't it? We can get so caught up, can't we, being impressed with qualifications, 
academic credentials, social standing, looks, gifting, doesn't impress Jesus. No one person is more valuable than another. In today's context, I don't think Jesus will be sitting there at the table with us checking out our exam grades. He wouldn't be looking at who's the most musically talented. He wouldn't judge us by our jobs, how popular we are, how rich we are, our number of likes on our latest Facebook profile picture. Do you know what? Jesus won't give a fig about all of that. I'm sure the Father will be proud of us for what we achieve in this life and the things that we do. But actually be looking at our heart, who we are, how we live, how we treat others, what our heart attitudes are. Now I'm not saying, of course, that there's anything wrong with doing well or being particularly gifted. That's brilliant. The Father's made us and he wants us to excel in the areas that he's made us to excel in. We're all there with him to reach our potential in him. But Jesus is making a deeper point. It's about where respect is given, who we honour and who we respect can say an awful lot about our heart attitudes. You know, we can all go to a dinner party and sit with who we think is the most outwardly attractive person, the most academic, smooth-talking, upwardly mobile, and that's perfectly okay. It doesn't stop them from being godly. Everyone deserves respect. But actually, if we've gone along seeking out people, seeking out that person alone, if we're looking to get reflected glory, to raise ourselves up, because we're respecting the outward achievement, appearance, social standing. Well, that's really not kingdom living, is it? And we shouldn't be doing it. Jesus is always looking at the heart, at the internal, not the external. So how do we do it differently then? How do we, as his followers, exhibit honour and respect in a countercultural way? Again, as always, our role model is Jesus. He chose, as Aid was saying last week, to spend his time with the social outcasts, the lowly, the humble, and often the downright despised by high society. And you know what he'd do? He wouldn't patronise them. He wouldn't tolerate them. He would love them. He would serve them. He'd heal them. He'd bless them. And he'd party with them. And lives were transformed because he respected and honoured them for who they were. And I wonder how many more lives could be transformed if as we move into our time of mission communities and inviting people into our homes and getting out there more in the community, if we wore a lot more of that dust and we disciplined ourselves to look at people, how Jesus looks at them, look with his lens, if we followed his example. And I think as we embark on all those sorts of things as well, we need to remember that we might need to get our hands dirty, just as Jesus did. I want to think for a moment about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It was the night before his crucifixion, and he was literally getting his hands filthy, dirty. He knew what he had to face, he knew what was coming, he knew that he was the king of kings, and yet he was able to graphically demonstrate what it means to raise others up, to scrub away their dirt, to scrub away the grime from their feet, to clean them. And these were friends who he'd walked with that he knew had doubted him, would doubt him, would vie for position, would look for that reflected glory. They may deny him, betray him even. 
Now, if the King of Kings can do that, if he can raise others up and show such deep respect for them, clean their feet, then we have to do that. In fact, he tells us we have to do it. John 13, 15. When he was done, he said, I've given you an example. You should do as I have done for you. So does that mean we've got to get out there and wash all those feet? You can if you want. I don't think I'll be doing that unless it's completely necessary. What it does mean is that we've got to be willing to put others first. We've got to be willing to serve and to raise people up, to respect and honour them. And you know what? We're not doing it on our own. He's always ready and willing to come alongside and repeatedly scrub any of the residue of grimy dust off of our feet. I don't know about you, but I often get my feet dirty. Not literally, metaphorically. And it's that grimy dust, isn't it, of self, of self-interest, self-promotion, self-absorption, self-first. But what if you think about that and you say, well, do you know what? I can actually do that. And I know for a fact that there are many of you here that can do that when it comes to the obviously broken, when it comes to the poor in spirit, those who are hungry and those who are in need of healing. Some of you are very, very good at that. But what about if we asked ourselves the question, how do we respect and honour those who really get under our skins that we might rub up against daily, who rile us, what about how do we do it with people who are abusive or toxic that we no longer want in our lives? How do we do it? Well, let's look at what Jesus says about this challenge, about loving, respecting maybe those who we consider our enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was very specific about dealing with difficult people in love and in humility. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That is exactly what Jesus expects of us. He expects us to love and then to love again, to love all people, not just those who we like or who we agree with, who share our politics, who share our values, who share our points of view. Everyone is made in the Father's image. God has created every single person, whether we like them or not, in his image. And that is regardless of whether they yet know him or believe in him. We have to show respect and honour because their souls are just as valuable to God as ours. Now that does not mean, of course, that we're necessarily going to agree with everyone. And that we can't speak up about things that we really feel are repellent or abhorrent or wrong. It doesn't mean we're going to condone every single behaviour or continue to associate with people who are abusive to us. But it does mean we can't write people off. We can't say there is no hope for that person. They are beyond redemption. It means we can't prejudge people either. We don't know what is going on in somebody else's heart or spirit, what God may like to do with them. And it made me think about the whole Trump issue as well. I don't want to get all political. 
I'm sure, like many, I was, well, I was pretty shocked, really. But um, what about if instead of moaning about it, instead of going on and on and saying what I think and what my politics are, I actually started to pray for him and believe that actually God can do what he wants with this president. To have hope. It's hard not to judge sometimes, isn't it? And especially when people's flaws and all the things that they do that are wrong are out there in the media. But actually, judgment is for the Lord alone. So I'm going to try and discipline myself to pray for that man that is leading America and pray for America and the rest of the world. But it is a challenge, and I think we'll often struggle. The whole loving your enemy thing can also be extremely hard when situations are ongoing. And I would like to say it's really important that we know that, we, that God would never ask us to remain in situations that are really detrimental to us. If you are in a situation that is abusive or toxic in any way, God will never ask you to stay there. But I do think he does ask us to forgive. He asks us to release people, to even get to a point where we can pray for people and bless people. And I think that's challenge enough, isn't it? That and guarding our hearts and guarding our tongues. As I was thinking this morning about that whole thing about guarding our hearts and guarding our tongues, I was thinking how important it is that as we respect people as well, there's some of us that are pretty good about being respectful when we're with people. But it's about guarding our tongues about what we say about them when we're no longer with them as well. It's both. Now, as we're going to draw to a close fairly soon, there's one last thing I want to look at. And it's about how Jesus dealt with those who were professing to be living by God's standards, but who constantly challenged him. So we're going to have a look at his relationship with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And I want you to prepare yourself for some tough talking. Okay, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honour in the synagogue. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. It goes on to say, there's many passages like this, I've just picked out a couple. It goes on to say, Matthew 7, in the message version, don't be impressed with charisma, Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Jesus is really, really clear there, isn't he? He cannot respect the behaviour of the Pharisees. He respects totally what they're teaching, God's laws, but not their behaviour. He even calls them hypocrites. Wake up, Pete. (laughs) I did tell him, I guess him. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nearly done. Um, <laughs> I'm going to backtrack. Jesus is really clear that he can't respect the behaviour of the Pharisees in any way, but he does respect what they teach. He's respecting the laws, but not their behaviour. And he does call them hypocrites. And he judges them so harshly because they should know better. He doesn't judge those who don't know the Father in the same way, but he does judge the Pharisees like that. But you know what? It doesn't mean he doesn't love them. God loves everyone, and some of them would have turned to him, to Jesus. Jesus would have been desperate for them to turn to him and to actually practice what they preach. Not just teach about God, but recognise God in Jesus. Recognise him, notice him, love him, revere him. Jesus is so hard on the Pharisees because he knows that they are totally steeped in scriptures and they've got no excuse. They know it all, and yet they fall short of the standards that are expected of them. And we might be sitting here thinking, yeah, those Pharisees. Serves them right, they were terrible. But what about us? We're not exactly Pharisees as such, are we? I can't pretend that I'm as steeped in the scriptures, that I've got long tassels or prayer boxes or anything like that. But actually, I know God. I have relationship with Jesus. There's no excuse for me to behave in that way either, to stand up here and preach and then not practice it. And for all of us, I think that's true. It's a warning with no excuse. If we know the Lord, we have to behave as he expects us to. So my prayer for us and my hope that, as I've spoken today, that where there's little areas in our hearts or in our attitudes that might need changing, that we'll be able to change, we'll be more like Jesus. If we are the type of people, um, I know I am at times, I have to really take hold of my thought life. If we're the type of people that judge those who are not yet in relationship with the Father, then we need to stop doing that. We need to look more at our own hearts, our attitudes, our words, our behaviour, how we relate to people and how we speak about them. We don't want any of us to be like those who can talk the talk and not walk the walk. I'd say we want to follow Jesus' example in the Sermon on the Mount and we want to love. We just want to keep loving, loving, loving people, even our enemies. And I think as we move into this time of mission communities, I come back to that again, as we open our homes more, as we go out into the community more, if we want to gain respect from people, if we want people to see Jesus in us, then we need to practice giving respect, don't we? And we need to ask him to cover us in that dust.